220 Central Park South, there was a, a condo, a penthouse that sold for 93 million in 2019. And it was bought by hedge fund titan, Daniel Oak, right? 93 million, which was already such a massive price. We're talking in, you know, nine, 10,000 a square foot at the time, I believe. It sold this month for 190 million. That's Hatem Samtani, the Real Deal's West Coast associate publisher. We chatted last week about how comps in the luxury market, well, at the highest point of the luxury market, are becoming irrelevant, given some pretty crazy sales over the last couple years. A recent condo sale at 220 Central Park South in New York City is one of those examples. Daniel Oak, who paid $93 million in 2019, nearly doubled his money in just over two years, right? So... When you when you start to understand like that is not a normal price appreciation in any segment of the market, something else is going on there. This is Deconstruct, a podcast by The Real Deal. So Hatan, what are comps traditionally used for? Why are they helpful? Traditionally, a comp is just a signal of where pricing should be in a market. So when you're buying a property, whether it's commercial or residential, you tend to look around at you know, recent transactions that have happened in that specific market for that specific product class. So it's just a signal of where pricing should be. So if, for example, you know, a, a car should cost, it's just telling you what recent product in that category has sold for. So it's a non, it's a and that sort of determines generally determines how the market functions, right? The market functions based on what may have just transpired, unless there's a big shock to the system like a financial crisis or the other way, like a huge boom in the market of some sort. So can we talk a little bit about what has kind of changed or what you've see, seen to start to shift over the last kind of year and a half, two years? Yeah, I wish I could make full sense of it, but basically what we've seen at the very high end of the market, when we're talking about like the captains of the universe type of product, so the IT buildings in Manhattan, like 220 Central Park South, for example, or 432 Park Avenue, or these mega mansions in Los Angeles, Bel Air, Beverly Hills, or like very, very pricey homes in South Florida, right? So let's take those tiers of the market, which let's call it sort of the rare air of the market. In those categories, comps have essentially become irrelevant. And that's what we've seen. We've seen pricing jump as much as 100% in a matter of two years, right? So that leads you to kind of think, it's not really about recent transactions anymore. There are other forces at play. I have a couple of examples. When you look at them, you're like, okay, this is not, if you tried to chart this or map this or compare this to other transactions, you'd lose your mind because it would just be such an outlier. To get a better understanding of when these outliers, when these homes started to sell at extremely high price points, I spoke to Jonathan Miller, the head of Miller Samuel, an appraisal firm. I have to say, beginning in about 2014, in California, I started to observe a lot of listings that were coming on that you might have expected them to list for three or four million, and they were coming on for 15, 20, 25, 30 million. It was this moment. And I believe that it was, it was, it began by one particular sale in Manhattan, which was an $88 million condo sale that the seller had doubled the asking price of when they purchased it five or six years prior for 44 million. They found a Russian oligarch to buy it for 88. And that 
closed in early 2012. And then by 13, nationally, we started to see a proliferation of these, what a term that I later dubbed uh, aspirational pricing, where the, the number made no sense compared to what was commonly, you know, what these properties are asking. And then by the time we got to 14, it became an actual phenomenon where these properties that you might have expected to sell for five or 10 million were selling for 40 million. Jonathan says eventually these one off sales started to slow down. One of the problems leading up to the pandemic with the luxury market is that the luxury market nationally was relatively soft. Uh, there was too much supply or there was a lot of, in air quotes, aspirationally priced inventory that would never sell, that it was so over the top. And it was became an effort to be a bold-faced name in a publication that, hey, you know, they've got a house on the, on the market for $75 million. That happens over and over again. And then their peers start pricing it the same way. And a lot of this stuff never sold. When we got to the pandemic, it really escalated. And in fact, 2021 has had the, the highest number of transactions in the U.S. Uh, for $50 million or higher. I asked Jonathan why we started to see this explosion during the pandemic. The reason why there's been an acceleration of this phenomenon is because the pandemic was far more damaging to lower wage earners than mid and upper tier salary types. And so we saw a significant rebound after the lock, various lockdowns ended in the luxury housing market. And I defined luxury as the top 10% of any market. So, and what we've seen because of the pandemic is a massive, a massive amount of damage to lower wage earners. So, so that certainly explained like the, the shift in the mix in a lot of housing markets towards higher end. When I was working on this episode, Hatten brought up two examples of two pretty wild sales where the seller had flipped the property for at least a 50% return. One of those examples was 220 Central Park South, which was mentioned at the start of this episode. And the other was a property in Bel Air. So uh, an example we were talking about before was the Bel Air mansion that Brian Armstrong, who is the CEO of Coinbase, he paid $133 million for it late last year, October, November. Uh, the former, uh, the previous owner had paid $85 million for it in 2018, which means that seller made about 56% in, in about three years. That, that's, again, crazy. That is not a comp. And, and the reason is when you, when you look at you know, someone like Brian Armstrong, whose net worth went from $1.3 billion in March 2019 to $11.5 billion in October 2021, right? That sort of dramatic explosion in net worth means that it's fine for him to pay 20, 30, 40 million more than he should. Hatten says some of these mega expensive deals can be explained by a new sort of buyer pool. People who have earned tremendous amounts of wealth from new sources, including cryptocurrency and technology. Both of these sectors have soared during the pandemic. This growth of a sector that has created so much money, right? Technology, the returns in technology are not linear. The returns in cryptocurrency, we have kids who were worth 50,000 are now worth 10 million. We have people like, like Brian Armstrong who are worth a lot of money, you know, rich by any standard, but now are in sort of that highest tier of the mega rich. So when you get sort of explosions in wealth like that, it, it really becomes about, there are a few unique homes and these people have unlimited money. So they just want to buy them, right? And, and developers who've kind of caught on to that and built 
this luxury bespoke product at you know outrageous finishes, top of the line, 220 CPS is a good example of that. They've either done extremely well or been caught out, right? So in this case, some of them did very well. A reporter at The Real Deal, Trevor Bach, recently wrote about this phenomenon, how people who have earned billions in the crypto space are now parking their money in the hard asset of real estate. In that story, David Friedman, the co-founder of platform Wealth Quotient and an expert on wealth data, estimated crypto has created 11,000 ultra-high net worth individuals, or people with assets exceeding 30 million. Uh, there's been a tremendous amount of wealth creation during the pandemic in a world of very low interest rates globally. And I think there's a lot of a lot of money sloshing around looking for a home. And part of it is uh, some of these gigantic real estate transactions. The concept of wealthy individuals parking money in real estate is not new. Let's consider the example of Central Park South. It's a building on Billionaire's Row, the strip along the southern end of Central Park known for high-end development. The building was developed by Vornado Realty Trust and opened in 2019. Uh, 220 Central Park South, which is the world's most profitable condo, I think they've booked, I want to say close to, well, they've done more than $3 billion in sales, out of which I think there's a solid billion dollars of profit. So Daniel Oak sold his penthouse at the property this month for about $190 million. But Hatten says we should really be paying attention to the buyer. So the buyer was the family office of Joe Tsai, who's a top executive at Alibaba, which is the e-commerce giant, but it's based out of China. Uh, that family office is, manages his money and the money of Jack Ma, who's the founder of Alibaba. So there's something else at play here. It could be that they needed to move their assets out of China in a, you know, in a dramatic way. It could mean that they've just got so much money, they've got to take it out of the country. It's not about return on investment. It's not about being judicious with pricing. It's about something else. So, Hatan, at Central Park South, I'm thinking about whether, you know, condo owners there are now thinking, well, can I sell mine for $190 million? Do you think it sets the bar for those kind of flips? Well, that particular transaction seems like a one-off just based on the buyer profile, right? It is... It seems like a, it seems like an emergency move to get move money somewhere, but we can't be sure of that. That's what it looks like from the outside. Um, you know, you'll always have these crazy outliers. One of the other sales of the building, which is still the record, I believe, in America for the priciest home sale, was Ken Griffin's two hundred and thirty-eight million dollar purchase of that that quadplex or triplex atop the building. Now, that again is not. You know, there was no comp to that. The last sale. Before that was 100.4 million at 157. So suddenly someone comes in and doubles, you know, the price of what an apartment can be. There will always be obscene money that doesn't mind paying whatever they want to pay at the time. 220 Central Park South is an example of how people from around the world have always looked to New York City as an avenue to park money. Now, with more wealth floating around than ever, more of these mega expensive deals are happening, and not only in New York City mobility has changed, right? So typically, I mean, there were a couple of markets that would attract global wealth from all over London, New York, maybe Monaco, etc. right? And then the other markets were seen as second homes or destinations or for that buyer pool that's local to the market. Los Angeles is a great example of that, right? You had a lot of money in California. There's tremendous amounts of money, but those homes were typically reserved for Angelinos or for Californians. Now, the entire world is looking at LA and saying, great weather, great location, et cetera. Let me sort of park myself here. I can be anywhere. I can work from anywhere. 
you start having lots of these one-off transactions, that ends up being a market. I mean, you know, for whatever reason, it ends up being a real market. And right now, there are three primary markets like this in the U.S., L.A., Malibu, uh, Manhattan, Hamptons, and Palm Beach. And maybe a little bit now, Miami is starting to, you're starting to see, you know, at least a number of, you know, 50 plus transactions. So it is, it is a, it is, seems to be a, in the reasonable, not too, not too distant future, that it's going to continue to be a phenomenon. Palm Beach and Miami are both good examples of how this increased mobility during the pandemic has affected specific markets. This month, a title insurance co-founder paid $15 million for a waterfront property built by spec developer Barry Brodsky for $15.3 million. The home loss sold in 2020 for $3.8 million. I asked Jonathan Miller whether these new prices were artificial. I don't think it's artificial. I think, I really think what's happening, and it speaks to this super luxury space, is that the valuations of a lot of these properties are being reset to a new number. So I don't see it as, hey, the market obviously went up 480% or whatever the percent increase was. Um, I think that valuations for these types of properties, uh, because it seems to be, there's enough of them, and it's been going on at least seven years, going into eight years, that this is not a fluke, this is an actual thing. Hatem says more of these one-off outlier deals could happen in Palm Beach. You could see more happening in Palm Beach. You're seeing right now, uh, Todd Glazier's got a got a home in Tarpon Island that he's doing. It's like a, it's only accessible by boat and some, it's like the only private island in that area. And it's absolutely outrageous. So I think, you know, the pricing in these kind of, in these kind of places where there's a lot of land to play with, there might be much more room to do, you know, different things. You, you could see, you could see pricing kind of go crazy there. But uh, comps still apply to the regular section of the market. Like if you were buying a home, you were in the market to buy a home, you'd still want to maybe look around at what bought, you know, what was bought and what was sold recently. But when you're playing at the very top of the market, to me, comps don't seem to exist. Deconstruct is every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Or you can listen at therealdeal.com. If you have a comment on this episode or have an idea you'd like to share, feel free to reach us at podcasts at therealdeal.com. Next week, we're looking at the San Francisco market. Tune in then.